0: If you don't have a Bible or you're new with us, uh, there's Bibles at the back. If you just want to grab one, if you don't have a Bible and, uh, and you'd like one, just grab it, take it home. It's a gift to you. We just want you guys to have the Word of God. We want you to be able to read this uh, and see uh, what we say every single week, that this is actually found somewhere. We're not just making this up. This isn't just um, Tim or Jonathan or anybody else standing up here talking uh, we really believe that what we do here on a Sunday morning when we gather and we open up the Bible is we're actually trying um, to discern what God is telling us, what, he, what he's speaking to us, what he's said to us, um, and how it affects our lives, how it changes us, how it transforms us, how it gives us hope and gives us life. So um, we have been in Luke uh, almost since the beginning of, of us being a church. So it's about a year and a half. Uh, it'll be two years in Easter that we've been uh, in Luke, and we're halfway through. Which means that if you come back another two years, we'll probably just be wrapping this bad boy up. Um, And the reason that we actually sit in a book, the reason that we love to to go through um, a book of the Bible, a a portion of scripture like this, is because we believe um, as we read it, we get confronted with things that we wouldn't normally want to preach on. If I was just choosing every single week what to preach on, I might stay away from some passages, some things that make me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, And when we walk through a book like Luke, one of the gospels, one of the the, the recounts of what Jesus did, how he lived, how he was born, how he died for us, how he rose again, uh, we're seeing how the story intersects with our own. And so the reason why we're doing Luke is because of that one reason. Uh, we get to look at the gospel and how it affects every single aspect of our lives. Um, and if you're coming in today, or you've come in the last couple of weeks, you've come in at a, a portion of Luke um, that might seem a little heavy, uh, that might seem a little, oh, I don't know, judgy. Uh, because the last four or five weeks, we've been in this portion of Scripture where Jesus is really trying to set up, uh, and and, and he 's really trying to help us understand that something is coming that what we see and what we what we feel what we experience right now isn 't the end, and we can 't fool ourselves into thinking that if everything is going well in life that we are uh, we 're in the right place with god if if everything is going well, then everything is fine, and we shouldn 't push to figure out what 's next we, we shouldn 't try to f- figure out what 's next and, and when he 's saying you, you have to be able to see the times, you have to be able to understand what 's happening you have to settle with your accuser. you have to do these different things he 's telling us that judgment is coming, and on one hand that 's a really really scary um, a really scary saying. But the thing is, he doesn't just leave us there and tell us, hey, by the way, judgment is coming. He gives us hope. And so in this passage that we're going to read today, uh, when I read it the first few times, I was like, man, this is, this is heavy. Um, Like, this is a call. Uh, This is telling us that we have to do something. And yet it's beautiful once we actually start to unpack it and start to see what Jesus is actually saying. So read with me. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, and then we'll jump in. Uh, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam felled and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So pray with me, and and we're going to try to figure out what Jesus is saying, how this is redeeming for us, how this gives us hope, how this gives us life, how this gives us something to hold on to. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have recorded for us, Uh, What you have done and what you have said How you have saved us How you have given us hope Um, And so this morning as we're reading And as we look at this passage And how it interacts with the rest of the book How it interacts with our lives I pray that we would see um, The beautiful redemption that we can have God we can be uh, restored to relationship with you We can be restored with one another Uh, God we can live life to the full now And also uh, for eternity God, you have given us a picture of what's going to happen and we have a choice to make of how we respond. And so I pray that our hearts would be prepared for that message today. I, prepare, like, I pray that we'd be prepared for what you have through your spirit to say to our hearts, to convict us of uh, our sin, to convict us of our self-righteousness, to convict us of our own piety, uh, and that we would just run away from all of that and run to you. And so, God, would you do something in this place today? Would you open our eyes? Would you speak through me, God? uh, I pray that as I speak, you would just take over. And God, your spirit would just move uh, through what you've been preparing in my heart these last few weeks. And so, bless us time, bless our hearts. Uh, Like I said, convict us that we would turn to you and run to you, we pray. Amen. So one of the things I think we actually have to start off with before we we get into even the passage itself is I think we have to come to the place where we all agree on on one one idea, and the idea, man, that's probably my kid. Um, we have to agree on this one idea that we are as humans uh, imprinted with this desire for justice, like we want things to be right. Um, now. It, in our eyes, we want things to be right. And, and I commute from Maple Ridge to Port Moody every single day. Well, uh, during the week. And I see justice every single week desired. When you're driving and you see the person going and flying up the empty lane that's a turning lane. And then at the last minute, put their blinker on and cut in front of everybody and the horns, and the, like you just see it. Everybody just desires that that tire would pop, or that they would hit a pothole. <laughs> Especially Craig. Um, <laughs> you, you just, it, it happens, and, and I saw it the other day. It was crazy. I was driving, and I was coming up to Maple Meadows, and the guy was flying up in that, in that turning lane to go to Staples or whatever, and instead of putting his blinker on to come in, he literally created a third lane and went straight through the intersection. And the horns, it was a chorus of horns of people just outraged that this person would think that they have the right. How dare they? You know, you see it. And a few weeks ago when I was driving to work, uh, the other one that really kills me um, is the HOV lane. The HOV lane bugs me. Because I never have somebody to drive to work with. And uh, when traffic gets really bad, you're sitting stuck. You're not moving anywhere. <sighs> and a few weeks ago, there was a, something was happening. And so we were just stuck in traffic. And I start seeing start, like, people flying by. They're not carpooling. They're just one person. I'm seeing eyes looking around at people, maybe, who do this. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're flying by, and they're flying by, and I'm getting so frustrated because I want to go that fast. I want to get where I'm going. And so as traffic kind of moves and gets up there, I see it. A bunch of cops are hiding, and they're just busting everybody. And the rest of the commute was just glorious. Just wonderful. Just, uh, just that, that justice. And I think if we, we kind of threw through a bunch of uh, scenarios out there, I think we could come to the place where we say every single one of us wants justice. Every single one of us wants things to be made right. Whether it's in our eyes or whether it's a, a world thing, we all want it. We'd love to make sense of the world and why bad things happen. We want to kind of create a matrix of why would this happen. And so we start kind of building a worldview around why things happen. And so causes and effects. We start to, to build this worldview that says uh, justice matters to us we actually even have things in commerce uh, I, we came up against it a few months ago with business where um, people aren't allowed to ship stuff to other countries because we've already shipped too much stuff without getting stuff shipped back to us and so the money is unequal and so we're not allowed to trade with this country until they ship us a, a, enough stuff we want things to be equitable we want things to be, fr- uh, to, to be equal we want things to be meted out in the long run if we're out of balance then everything just has to stop We want things to be fair, and of course we want things to be in our favor. Not just fair, but in our favor. Because going back to the the driving analogy, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I may go above the speed limit, but when I see people going faster than me going faster than the speed limit, it's those people who deserve a ticket, (laughs) not me. I'm only doing a little bit over. They're doing a lot over. And that same thing kind of comes out in religions, because when you look at the world religions, when you look at the way that people have tried to make sense of life and death, when you look at how people try to make sense of good and bad, you see religions formed around this idea that we have to explain away why good things happen to bad people, or why bad things happen to good people, why bad things happen to bad people, why good things happen to good people. You know what I mean? Like, we try to explain it away. And, and Christianity's no different. There's people in the church and there's people who have been uh, living their lives who still live in this idea that we have to make sense of, of why this is happening. I've seen it and I've seen it over and over and again. It's a balancing act and atoning for bad things, why things have to kind of met out and make sense. And it's part of what makes us humans. And the sin that attaches to our lives that actually takes the desire for justice and twists it and turns it to serve ourselves rather than serving what we know is actually right and wrong. We begin to be turned inwards on ourselves. And so with this in mind, I think we can come to Luke chapter 13. And I think we can come and we can see why these people are coming and bringing this question before Jesus. Because the question inherently isn't just a an honest, simple question. The, the question is loaded. The question is loaded with, with a, a desire for, for, to make Jesus either set something up as good, set something up as bad, to call somebody good, to call somebody evil, to call somebody in, to call somebody out, to be able to self-justify, to be able to look at the way I'm living compared to somebody else and say, see, I must be okay. They're looking for Jesus to make a call so that they can justify themselves before God and before men. And so when they ask, the some were present at the time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so they bring this, this question to God. And this first trap that they try to catch Jesus in and that we often fall into ourselves is we fall into this trap of pride or elitism. In, in this idea that we want to be able to figure who's in and who's out. We want to be able to figure out what's good and what's bad. We want to be able to figure out so that we can live our lives in such a way that we can know we're safe or we're good. Does that make sense? We want so badly to know uh, what I can get away with and what I can't get away with. I remember being um, in youth ministry and having these teens who would come to me and they'd be like, so how far is too far in dating when you're with a, with a girl? You're, like, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking what can I get away with, not what's, what, what's honoring to God, what's honoring to her, what's honoring to your own body. You're, you're asking the wrong question. But time after time, you'd have these guys being like, so like I only did this. I've got a buddy who did that so like I'm not that bad so I must be okay it's this question that looks to see am I in the right standing because I'm doing the right things for these people it's it's a little bit different they were looking to see if they were in the right political party they were looking to see if they were in the right religious party. They were looking to see if they were in the right uh, place of birth, like the Galileans, those people, versus us who are from Jerusalem, us who are in the right part. They're looking to see whether or not they can, they can fit the mold. And we do it too. Am I part of the right group? Am I part of the right country? The right gender? The right church or the re- religion? The right denomination? The right political stripe? Am I grouped in with the right people? Because even if, if I'm doing all those things and I'm with the right people, even if I mess up, at least I'm with the right people. I'm, 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 I'm doing the right things. And we, we start to self-justify. We start to look to see whether or not we're doing the things that will keep us safe, that will get us out of trouble. With my kids, it's always the same thing when um, when we tell William not to play with uh, with the TV or whatever he's wanting to play with that he always goes back to. And he'll always look over at us before he touches it. Always. And it's just, he just He'll do it and he'll have this little grin on his face. He's just This little smile. He knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. We're a people who I believe from the beginning have wanted to know what's right and what's wrong just enough that we can stay out of trouble. We don't want to be sold out. We just, we just want to know enough. This trap of elitism and pride gets us. And the gospel comes against it in a, in a really powerful way. Because the gospel comes against it and says, at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. And Paul reaffirms this. You come to God bringing nothing but your sin. You you don't come to God saying, I've checked off all these boxes, I've done these things, I'm part of the right stuff, so accept me. The foot of the the cross is completely even and we have nothing to bring to God but our own sin. We are a people who, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are uh, Jew or Gentile, whether we're slave or free, man or woman, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is completely inclusive and it takes away everything any chance we have of going to God and thinking that we bring him something that makes us more acceptable. There is no elitism or pride in Christianity because the further you get into the gospel, the more you realize how broken and sinful you are. And the more that you see your utter need for God to save you and to redeem you and to restore you to life, Salvation says that we need Jesus as much as the next person. That the only thing that we can boast in is the hope of the glory of God. We don't boast in ourselves, we boast in Jesus. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There can't be any pride, any idea of elitism. And as Jonathan said last week, and I I love it, we're all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Got nothing, and so when we come to Jesus and we point people to Jesus, we're not telling them what they have to, what they have to be a part of, what they have to do. We're telling them where they need to come to to find grace. So the first thing, the trap that we can fall into is elitism, and I, and I hope that's so clear that that is nothing that you should be looking forward to. You, you should never be looking to your own uh, merits, your own uh, things that make you you that kind of set you up for Jesus to love you and, and to want you more. The second thing, the second trap that uh, we fall into is uh, merit-based punishment and flourishing. Um, basically, the, the what can we expect out of life now? If, if I'm doing good things, I will get good things. If I'm doing bad things, I will get bad things. And we start living our lives in such a way that when bad things start happening, we start looking and wondering, well, what, what did I do? what did I do? Like what, what did I do that would cause God to do this to me? Or what good things have I done that I'm getting blessing? I should keep doing those things because clearly God is, is blessing me. And now, I, I will say this. It's really easy from Scripture to make a case for this kind of living. It's very easy. Because from the garden on, you see um, the, the, the cause and effects that happen. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and there's broken relationships, and there's brokenness in the way they deal with uh, with each other, and with God, and with the earth. Like there, it's clearly God even curses. There's clearly a cause and effect to that. When uh, Cain kills Abel, not only is the effects of sin evident in the fact that uh, Abel is killed, but Cain is cursed, cursed to wander. Like it's really easy if we want to make a case for it. And throughout the Bible, there's different things. The the friends of Job who come to him and just tell him, dude, if you would only repent, God would stop judging you. God would stop destroying you. If you would only repent, uh, you know, you, you might be able to get some kids back. You know, after all your kids died. And, you know, if you only repented, you might be able to get some of your, your flocks and your servants back, you know, after they all got stolen and killed. And, you know, you probably will be able to get your health back after you've been sitting in ash uh, scraping your boils with pot shards. Like, it's... Uh, if only you would repent, those things wouldn't happen. That idea that uh, everything in my life is, is a cause of sin... Even Psalm 37, I was reading it the other day, and it's the very beginning of it is uh, the unrighteous, the unholy, will fade away like the grass, like the green herb. Um, The idea that it's not going to last. If you're unrighteous, you're not going to last. But if you're righteous, God's got you. And even the disciples in in John chapter 9, when they see a man born blind, they're caught up in the same worldview where they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but it happened so that the power of God would be revealed. We have to come to the place of realizing that we don't live in a karma worldview. It's it's not real. It doesn't happen. Because if karma was real, if the good equals good and bad equals bad was true, Jesus wouldn't have been punished and he wouldn't have suffered and he wouldn't have gone through everything he did it is the biggest reason why we can say that the gospel of uh, prosperity the prosperity gospel is bunk because we look at a savior and we look at the disciples who followed him who lived righteously who lived rightly before god who were following god well and that they were tortured and punished they were killed they were exiled Uh, They were stoned and beaten and whipped and just abused like crazy. And so I hope that this morning you can come to the place of realizing that there are bad things that happen to good people and there are good things that happen to bad people. And if you live your life hoping that if you just do enough good and you just do enough good and you just do enough good that God will love you, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus says. It's not what happens. But the question really is, how do you live your life? How do you respond when trial happens? How do you respond when bad things happen in your life? Do you start to look in and see what you've done? Not that that's a bad thing. Not that any, when everything happens in life, we should always be looking and introspective to see what have I been doing? How have I been following God? What, is, what sin is in my life? But are you looking to atone yourself? Are you looking that when you've done something bad that you say, okay, well now I have to do five good things to make up for this. Man, I, I've done this horrible thing so now I have to give money to the church or I have to give money to this organization or I have to serve these people. I have to do these things to make up for the bad that I did. That is anti-gospel. That's, that's not what it is. We, we don't come to God and say, hey, I'm sorry that I messed up. I'm going to do these good things to make up for it. Because you can never do it. There's never an equation that works. We're people who look for causation to make sense of the world around us. And when bad things happen, we can sometimes think it's only because of our sin. And when good things happen, it's because of my righteousness, my ability to follow Jesus. And I I hope that you can look in your life, look in your heart, and say, Do I live that way? Is that something that is actually true of me? Because the gospel says if you are a Christian, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel says, um, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Hebrews says that God actually disciplines those that he loves. And that in my sin, I, I run to Jesus because he saves and I cannot earn forgiveness or atone for my sin by beating myself up, by condemning myself to show God how sorry I am. I run to God because he's the only one that can heal. To non-Christians, if you are here and you don't yet know Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what Paul says, of whom I am the worst. There is nothing that you can do that will keep you away from Jesus. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And the point is, every single one of us who has come to Jesus should hopefully be able to say, no, I am... I'm the worst of sinners because I know myself the best. And I've seen the depths of my heart. We don't sit here and look and say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as those people. It's funny that you actually never hear somebody say, well, I mean, I'm not as good as Jesus, but I'm okay. It's always going the other way, right? It's always, like, we're going to judge on a sliding scale for, like, the lowest common denominator so I can just be just above the line of, like, who makes it in. That's not the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am the worst, but I received mercy for this reason that in me, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Man, that's Beautiful as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's First Timothy. It's, it's, it's an amazing passage that just shows us that there is nothing that we can do that can separate God, but that there's also nothing we can do that makes us more acceptable to God. And so you need to stop living your life as if you can, by yourself, do the things that would make you acceptable or as if you've done too many things that make you not acceptable. There's nothing. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of him. And the third trap that we can fall into is self-justification. So we can fall into this idea that we want to know who's in and out. We can fall into this trap of uh, kind of merit-based lifestyle where I just need to do enough stuff to make me good or bad uh, based on how I'm being treated by the world, by life but then there's the afterlife. There's the thing that comes next. How can we be saved and what can we expect from the life to come? See, that the thing that the, the crowd, the some in the crowd are looking for is that they're trying to see uh, what happened with these Galileans. What did they do that made them to be judged by God? I mean, what, what do you have to do to be accepted? What do you have to, be, to do to be condemned? Is it being a part of the right party, the right people, the right place? Is it doing the right things? Will it be evident in my life today that God accepts me by the way I'm being treated now? And, and the way I'm being treated now, is that a reflection of the way that God's going to treat me in eternity future? In a, in a, in a, in a one simple question, They're asking such a loaded, loaded question. Trap three is that by works you can be saved. Again, anti-gospel. The hope is that we can be judged on that sliding scale. That I'm not as bad as those other people. I mean, I might not be like the Mother Teresa, Billy Graham kind of people, but I'm definitely not like those other people. We self-justify we, even within the church. We self-justify when we drive through town uh, and see other people. we like to think that because our lives are the way they are, that we're blessed, that God is happy with us. I think this is actually the most dangerous trap. I think this is the most dangerous thing we can fall into. If we live... Um, if we live wrongly in terms of how God deals with us right here and now in terms of uh, when we get good things it's because we do good things when we get bad things it's because we that's just bad theology if we think that way about eternity and whether or not we've been saved whether God has actually given us life now and for eternity that's an eternal decision that's not just bad theology that's that. That's a div- div- definitive statement that changes everything. The gospel says that you cannot save yourself. You cannot be saved by works. You cannot even come to God unless he draws you and allows you, unless he opens your eyes to see him in a new way. It took God to send his son to earth to live the perfect life that we could not, to die the willing sacrificial death in our place to satisfy the justice of God. Our only hope is to hide under that sacrifice, to hide underneath the blood of Christ that covers us from the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the right judgment of God, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the ability to be saved in and of our own works. That unless we trust in him to take the punishment in our place, we're up for it. It's ready for us. Salvation says that unless you repent of your sin, you will likewise perish. And that's what Jesus says twice. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about all these other things. It doesn't matter if you look good. It doesn't matter if you're part of the right group. It doesn't matter if you're doing good things. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff if you have not repented and come to Jesus for salvation. Nothing else matters. That, that changes the trajectory and, and the course of your life. And everything before it is just sin and brokenness that you bring to God. And as you come to God and you repent, you are starting a new life, a new trajectory, a new hope, a new expectation for living. But I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life that you will have life to the full now and for eternity and the one thing that I just need to jump on is I, I say that you need to come to God and repent but it's not a one time thing it's, it's not this thing that you've done once and you're like well i am done that I can go on living if you're married you know this <laughs> It is not just this thing that you sign up for once, and it's just easy sailing the rest of your life together. It is amazing. I was with my uh, my grandparents uh, at a banquet uh, last Monday, and they've been married for sixty five years. And they're just telling these stories about, you know, what they've gone through and the stuff that they've seen and what they've been to together and uh, the things that God has done in their lives. It's not always easy sailing somehow. It's shocking. And it's the same thing with our faith. It's not a one-time deal where we just check it off and it's done. It, it is a, a daily thing where Jesus says to, to pick up your cross, pick up the object of your death every single day and follow him, that you would die to yourself and live to Christ. That the image of baptism is a, a dying to the old self and, and a rising to this new life. The repentance that we're called to is a, is a one-time deal in a sense that we all need to do it at least Once. But once you've done it, it is a daily thing as the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin as you are reading your Bible and you see the ways that you are not living the way God has called you to live. The way God has redeemed you and restored you, saved you to live a new life. And every single day you have to repent of it. And when you mess up and when you screw up because you will, and when sin is still indwelt and not dealt with, you don't hide You don't think that God can't handle it. You don't think that this is bigger than God. You come to God and you repent every single day. I hope that today every single person here would be able to repent again or for the first time. I hope that every single person would be able to be convicted of the fact that we don't follow God the way that we need to, the way that we've been called to, the way that we've been saved to. That our affections would be changed to love living for God. That it wouldn't be just duty, but it would be delight in his word. It would be delight in his ways. It's a lifestyle of repentance it's the faith that saves in repentance we find grace and forgiveness and we live constantly on the belief that God has taken away the consequences of our sin is making us more and more like him every single day it's the gospel it's beautiful it changes everything and this is where I have to try to wrap it up and try to give you something to do um, I don't want to just give you a bunch of knowledge I want, I want us to be able to respond I want us to be able to, to do something in response to what God is calling us to. The idea and the desire for justice has been placed in each of us by God. It's the, the part of the, the image of God that's been imprinted on all of us. And sin has marred it and, and made it turn in to serve ourselves and discern our own uh, sinful desires. It's made us to lose our ability to see the only proper fulfillment of justice, which is uh, everything being poured out on Jesus. Jesus' death in our place is the only way we can be free and be saved. I beg you not to look on your own merits, the things that you think make you acceptable or right before God. I beg you to see that there is nothing you bring but your own sin that unless you repent, you too will perish. And the repentance means to turn away from sin, to turn to Jesus for salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Turn to that, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Turn to him. Bring him all of your pride and your self-righteousness, your elitism, your merits, everything, and pour it down before him saying, I have nothing to give you. And I need everything that you have to offer. I want you to change me. I want you to transform me. I don't want to live this life any longer, but I want to live a life that you've given me that leads to real life, that leads to eternal life, that leads to a transformation here and now. And whether we're Christian or not, we need to repent whether it's repenting of our spiritual pride, repenting of our misplaced hope, whether it's repenting of sin that we see or sin that we need to see. Repent of our self-justification and come to Jesus with everything, knowing that he is good and he will redeem and restore. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to move into a time of prayer. We're going to move into a time of uh, communion. We're going to move into a time of worship. And the way that I want us to respond today is all of those things, really. Um, we have opportunities to respond in multiple ways. If it's prayer, uh, I hope that you would go and you would meet with the prayer teams at the back, and you would repent. You you would you would share what God is revealing in you. That you would go to Him and you would seek Him uh, with people. That you would not keep this to yourself, thinking that you can deal with it by yourself. My hope is that uh, as we take communion, you would see uh, the bread and and the wine and the juice as the the sign, as as the new covenant, the new promise that we have hope. That as we look to the blood of Christ shed for us, we remember that it was costly and that it covers us, that it cleans us and makes us new. When you look at the bread, I hope that you would remember that it is body broken for you that is his body given freely for you, that you could have life, that you could be fed, that you could consume um, the very words of God, the very uh, being of God, that you, you would allow him to overwhelm and take over. I suggest that we remember this morning as we take communion, the great sacrifice and the cost That we would repent again and make ourselves right with one another and with God. To repent of actions and thoughts and words and relationships that are keeping you away from Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would see your need. That you cannot repay the debt you owe. And that Jesus has done for you what you need. So believe on him this morning. Uh, For communion, if you don't yet know Jesus, um, go and talk with some of the prayer teams at the back. Uh, come and talk with me, whatever it takes, Uh, we want to tell you exactly what that means, exactly what that looks like. Um, If you are a Christian, we want you to go up and we want you to remember what Christ has done for you. We want you to remember the the cost and the sacrifice that was there. If you want prayer, like I said, prayer teams are going to be at the back and we just welcome you to take this time uh, to respond the way that God is, is calling you to respond this morning. So let me pray. Father, I hope, <laughs> I hope that I've made sense. I hope that, God, everything that you placed on my heart um, would be uh, coming through loud and clear. God, that each of us would be being convicted of things that we have done, ways that we have thought, things that we are doing that don't line up and that separate us from you, God. And, and I pray that we would understand that we are accepted before you when we come to you. That, God, you desire relationship with us. You desire to have us back as your children. And so this morning in this place, God, would we respond? Would we not be stubborn? Would we not be prideful of who we are, what we've done? Uh, but would we boast only in your sacrifice for us? And Would we boast in the fact that you have done the work in our place that we could never do? So we pray, God, work in our hearts. Uh, show us how we can respond this morning, we pray. Amen.